0: Hi, I'm Erica Keswin. Welcome to Left to Our Own Devices, a show that explores how to bring our human to work and to life. Because left to our own devices, we're not connecting. Today, my guest is Maury Tahiripour. Maury is a globally recognized executive with over two decades of experience in negotiation and diversity and inclusion. Maury teaches at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, where she serves on the faculty of the Legal Studies and Business Ethics Department, and she is a seven-time recipient of Awards for Excellence in Teaching. Maury works with a diverse client base that includes major sports leagues, Fortune 100 companies, universities, foundations, and professional associations. She earned her BA from Barnard College, her MBA from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, and was awarded a diversity and inclusion certificate from Cornell University. Maury's new book, Bring Yourself, How to Harness the Power of Connections to Negotiate Fearlessly, was published in March of 2020.
1: Maury, how are you? So good to see you. Hey Erica. So good seeing you. Happy to reconnect.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And I think it's going to be, you know, a different approach to this topic of leading in the hybrid revolution than than many of the others, given your background. And so, you know, when, when I was preparing for today and thinking about all the conversations I've been having over the last few months. The big one is, you know, to return or not to return, right? That is the big question, to the office that is. And there's a ton of anxiety and fear around it. You know, loss of flexibility, the introverts all of a sudden having to go outside. And many people in their mind are building it up in their mind that they're going to have to have some type of big negotiation. So who better to talk to about that than you? So how should people begin thinking about this negotiation, especially given your book, you know, how do they approach it from a human perspective?
1: You know, in my book, I I talk a lot about the fact that it is really about sort of the negotiations that you have with yourself first and kind of grounding yourself, finding what your values are, what makes you comfortable, what makes you happy, all your non-negotiables, the things that if you gave those things up, you would no longer feel whole or happy. Regardless of what the outcome is, right in the negotiations, and I think that's very much applicable to this situation. I know, sort of in your hybrid revolution, you talk about this too. I don't think there's going to be everybody's going back or everybody's staying at home. And I think that that there is going to be this notion of where people find the most uh, amount of efficiency from a work perspective, right? Where A lot of people are like, I don't want to commute three hours anymore to get to work and back. Whereas I could use two and a half hours of that actually working. And so I think some of that's going to come into play. I think this notion of some people are excited to go back because they're like, please get me out of my house. Mm -hmm. Like I, I need the commute, actually, because there's a break. There's a natural break where I can say, okay, my work is done and I can get up and leave. I'm probably fall a little bit in that category. And so far, the day just never ends. They just (laughs) keep going on and on and on and on. So I do think that you have to find your own way first, right? What what you think is going to make you most comfortable. So we are still afraid. I mean, I'm a little bit embarrassed to share this, but yesterday, we finally got some sunshine. As you know, we're talking about it's been rainy overcast, And I decided to go for a quick run. And the route that I go, you know, it's generally not very crowded. And I got to this one point where there was a whole big, massive crowd of people who were walking all in the same direction. And there was a car that was coming towards them because it's a little like it, the roadway sort of narrows over this bridge. And I could feel my stress sort of rising. I could feel really anxious about the fact that there's all these people. I'm not mm-hmm. running with a mask. And it, it was the craziest moment because... I sort of was like, "Well, of course I'm vaccinated; everything's fine." more you're usually good about this, but it was too much, and I tried to run about around them and took this huge fall. I went flying into the oh country. my gosh! It's really ugly scar. I don't know if you can see it or not. Is there oh, and ripped my knee apart? I mean, it's it was terrible. All that to say is that when I was walking home, I was like, "What happened to you?" And it was definitely that notion of you can't forget what you've just experienced for over a year, right? So I was always really careful and I was really worried about the people around me. All that to say is that it gave me something else to think about. Like that notion of, you're not just bouncing back. I'm not going to just go from home to airport, airport to classroom, back, then do it all over again. Because I'm worried. I, I, I can't unsee this past year. Mm-hmm. And so I have to sit here and think to myself, what does that travel schedule look like? Where am I going to be the most comfortable? I don't want to carry that anxiety with me every time I teach or go somewhere to teach. So that's what I mean. Like those conversations have to come first before I can then translate that to clients right. or the classroom or whatever it is because we have to find that place after this time. That will make us feel more like ourselves, wherever wherever that is.
0: So, I, I look. I, I agree. I mean, having written a book called "Bring Your Human to Work" and focusing on values and and this idea of having this conversation with yourself first. So, let's say, though, for example, I'm trying to balance that with some right. with with practicality. So, let's say that I have decided that this three hour commute. I have been doing is untenable. I I did it for all these years. And all of a sudden I got a taste of not doing it from a, from a family and life and wellness perspective. And that now is a non negotiable yet. My boss is saying that her non negotiable is that we are coming back to the office. So do you anticipate at that point, many people are just going to start to look for new jobs, whose values better fit where, where they are um, and where they want to be?
1: I think that companies, you know, this does go to sort of the DEI conversation, but companies are going to have to look at this very differently as well. And you can't just force feed people into this, the, what used to be, right? there, there, A lot has changed. And so I think they have to have individual conversations because one size will not fit all. And I think that part of those conversations, obviously that has to be some amount of compromise because it could be that they want a lot of people back just to create that sense of camaraderie and connection. Mm -hmm. Even a greater sense of maybe innovation and bringing people together, that energy that is hard to replace even at your finest moments virtually, right? So I think those conversations have to be tailored to people. I think that you also have to decide as an individual. Obviously, if this doesn't work for you anymore, then yeah, maybe that does mean a change in companies, but that's not all that realistic. But I think that like, when I talk about sort of in negotiations, you have to bring, you know, think about what your goals are and what the outcomes that you seek are, and then bring some data or some sort of constructive information to allow you to better form your argument or, or your ask and have supporting evidence. I think this is going to be the same thing that look, I was commuting for three hours before, whatever it was. And now that I'm not doing that, I start earlier, I work better, I'm much more focused. Look at what I've been able to do over these past few months. I've been a lot more so able to take some of that time that I would have been frustrated and the road rage or so whatever that was in traffic. And now because I'm so focused, I can think about even other things that we've been able to implement. Mm-hmm that I wasn't able to do before. So that's sort of the the objective data, right? The objective information that you can bring to that conversation. And then know that there's some place that you'll end up sort of meeting in the middle, but also being very, very straightforward about the things that bring you anxiety or you're not really happy with. And I'm hoping that those, the, the HR folks, your boss, your manager, whatever it is, will be able to have those conversations. So it becomes more like Collaborative problem solving, right. as opposed to this is the way it's going to be, and mm-hmm. this is what you have to do. Because I don't think workforces will, will bear that well if that's how they approach it. Right.
0: That's interesting. I, I like that. It, you know, I guess when you first said to approach it with data, my mind went to you know a, a benchmarking study, and the other five companies right. in our industry are doing this, that, and the other. But I like your approach of making it human. And an individual to me saying, well, look, I have this extra time. I did this extra project. I, you know, developed this client relationship. So it's, it's it really is, you know, bringing yourself and what you did and, and trying to you know, lead a negotiation from from that perspective. So I think that's really interesting. But so one of the questions I often get, I laugh with this, you know, bring your human to work. People are like, really? Do I really (laughs) want people bringing their whole self to work? It is an office, isn't it? And I laugh and say, well, yes. I guess what I really mean by that is, you know, bring your most appropriate self, your best self, because yes, it is work. Do you you get that question? Or when you talk about this from a negotiation standpoint, how much of your whole self do you really want to bring? So,
1: you know, there's very few places that I think I always show up as 100% myself, Um, not with my family, not, you know, because there's just, I don't want to say rules of engagement, but different places where I feel comfortable being some part of myself, right? And case in point, when you first start a relationship, it's not... You know, you're sort of building that trust and and the synergy and all the rest of it. So it takes a little while. And I don't think this is any different. But yes, I do get that question all the time because we have been told that, first of all, you have to be a certain person to be a great negotiator. So the aggressive, the contentious, the non-emotional, right? So for somebody who's emotional or is very sort of, you know, I talk with my hands. I'm sort of, this is who I am if you told me that I couldn't do that and I had to be sort of robotic in the way I expressed and communicated myself, I would be, it would be miserable. It would be absolutely terrible, right? So part of it is busting some of those myths that allows people to think, oh, so it is okay to, to do these things. Like so long as I'm very prepared and do all those sort of foundational things, then I can't show up more authentically. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is that trust and sort of reciprocity of trust, right? So that you are sort of dipping your toe in the water and everybody doesn't deserve every part of you and all the information that you have at the beginning, right? So again, you sort of, you give a little, you take a little, you give a little, and then as you become more comfortable, even in that first negotiations, that first conversation, you can see that natural progression, right? Because the connection is made, the empathy is created, the the rapport is built. So you know, I don't tell people, just jump all in, right? You're so happy to hear something. You're doing cartwheels when they tell you how much this house is, right? No, but there is that amount of freedom that I think people should feel because we best communicate when we are ourselves, when we're not trying to remember what we're supposed to say or how descriptive this process is. I just don't think you're as good until you're really comfortable in your own skin and show up that way. And I think part of this whole notion of bring your whole self, and I know you talk about this too, it's also the values piece of it, right? Being very true to who you are from a values perspective. So that's less about not necessarily behavior so much as it is knowing your boundaries and the things that are important to
0: you. Right, and taking the time Right. to be intentional about okay. analyzing that. Because if you don't know what the, and I would think about that from negotiation standpoint, you don't know what the goal is. If you don't know what's right. ultimately that important, right. there's, there's there's no roadmap to, makes it much more difficult to to get there if you don't know where right. where you're headed. Right. But what about some of these topics that, you know, for many, many different decades and decades, and in many cases still are sort of taboo, when it comes to you know you know, negotiating around family issues and and you know having kids, I remember a senior leader from Citibank said to me when I was writing the book, she's like, I used to, I laughed so hard. She was before I would sort of sneak out, you know, to go to my kid's game or a doctor's appointment. She would take a bite out of an apple and then leave the apple on her desk she would hope that everybody would assume that, of course, she's coming back because there's a one, there's a half-eaten apple on her desk. And I remember doing the same thing and literally sneaking out. So as as these conversations now begin to happen more, in many ways, I think the negotiations are going to, they're always, there's compensation related, but it might even shift to the the flexibility and kids and all of these other things. So I guess my question is, do you think that that'll be a big part of everybody's negotiation now? And how do you recommend, you know, people having these conversations? Like, where do they start?
1: First of all, I think you have to give yourself permission, right, give yourself permission to do a variety of things. I remember seeing Ursula Burns speak at a conference many, many years ago when she was still at Xerox. and, And she said, you know, I used to beat myself up because... I couldn't really make the time to go to all my kids' games, right? And be this, like, you know, very successful CEO. And she goes, at one point, I was like, I can't even stand going all these games. This is, I, I'm not even interested. So what am I doing? Because she's like, I, I was beating myself up both ways, right? The work side of it, the having to leave, but the other side of it is I'm sitting there worried about work, thinking about work, and, you know, the, I'm not present on either side of it, really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that really stuck with me because I said to myself at that point, how much do we actually pretend and not give ourselves permission to just be exactly who we want to be at that moment? Whether it's being more of the mom because your kids are at a certain age and you feel like you have to step out of the workforce to do that, but also... Thinking, hey, yes, I gave birth, you know, three months ago, but I'm ready to go back to work, right? I really want to get back to work. I want to get on this next big project that's coming up, and and I don't want to feel bad about the fact that people may think, "What kind of mom are you that you want to now mm-hmm. travel? All of a sudden. Didn't you just give birth?" So, giving yourself permission to really finding that thing that that really speaks to you, both professionally and personally. But then once you do that, and you feel, and you know, this is like what I said earlier. Once you feel sort of that the Ability to communicate it because it's what you really want. Then I think those conversations are easier because you're not afraid necessarily of self judgment, which I think is the worst judgment actually. And when you're communicating it again, you have to do it in a way that that really makes sense insofar as what you want your life to be like, what you want your energies, where you want your energy to be, how you don't want to divide yourself up between fifteen thousand things because there's only so much time in the day. I think workforces, and we started we started this many, many years ago, I think Silicon Valley sort of led the way really with equity and, and all that and sort of compensation models. I think that con- conversation is going to sort of speed up in a lot of ways. It's going to include technology. It's going to include innovation. It's going to include all of those things. And and so absolutely, I think it's going to be a really big part of the equation and, you know, that's when you were talking about the apple, I was like, oh my God, I remember too. And I worked for myself, <laughs> and, you know, I'm like, if they see me leaving, what are they going to, you know? So it's like that, that narrative will kill you. Right. It's like, we are so bad to ourselves sometimes. And it's like, no, just decide where you're going to be best and how you're going to be best and, and not be so worried. Because quite frankly, I worry about women that way, right? The, the mothers that are ready to go to work. Right. The the ones that say I do want to travel. And yes, you know, I love being with my kids, but I want to model the the person that I am and the behavior that I want my kids, right? That's important to me. So yeah, I think those conversations, too much has changed to unsee what's happened. And so I think a lot of those conversations are gonna change, pick up, be a little bit more malleable, pliable, and and really sort of individualized.
0: Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I am hopeful that we're not going to forget what we saw and felt. And I think in these younger generations, it's not just the women that want this flexibility and to be with the kids or the taking care of the elderly parents. I mean, it's really everybody I right. wrote about in Bring Your Human to Work. Some of the leaders, I, I highlight this one is president of a division of PepsiCo that had a personal mantra called leaving loudly. And so at three o'clock, if he had his kid's baseball game, literally on the top of his lungs, you know, he's like, I'm out of here, baseball time. And so I think leaders need to model it. And we, especially women, but hopefully given that we're at this inflection point, the, the apples of the world, you know, what was once pretty taboo is now more mainstream and people feel more comfortable building it into their, their narratives around negotiation.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the best things actually that has happened in sort of this virtual world is that we see more people anyway, right? Before it used to be that all the meetings are in a, in an office or a conference room and it's very sterile, right? You only show as much as you want to show. Now it's like the dog runs in the picture, the baby's crying, the pictures are are really personal on the walls, maybe some paintings, maybe you're an art collector, all these things that we see now about people. That we didn't really have the privilege of seeing before necessarily. So I think this has made us much more open to seeing people's whole selves, not just the people that they the person that they are at the office, or the really business like sort of settings of these conversations. It's become more personal. It's become more interesting. It's become more human. And I think that's actually been the bright light in a lot of this because it's nice to see people in all their dimensions. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, we accept we accept the dog barking in the background now, Where <laughs> you know, we would have been horrified, right, if something went wrong in the middle of a business meeting. But now it's like, oh, there's your dog again. Right. You know, he must know it's right. time for our Zoom call. You know, like, it's, it's a very yeah. different kind of conversation that, frankly, I've really learned to enjoy. I see somebody for more than just who they are in a business suit in an office. Yeah, I pray that we
0: that we hold on to that. I mean, there's so many elements of this pandemic I want to completely forget. Right, And I'll say, I hope that next time I see you we're in person or next time I'm in a meeting, I see everybody in person, but I hope we don't forget what right. we saw in each other's, in each other's Zooms. I, I was just laughing at myself. I had a huge meeting I don't know, maybe a month ago and I had people in Hong Kong and and London. And I had sent, we have a family group chat and in big capital letters. I am doing an important call. Do not come in the office. It was like six thirty in the morning. Right. An hour goes by and my son like needed a book on my bookshelf. And so he just come, I'm like, are you kidding me? Did you not right. read it? Right. And at that point I just had to be me. I was like, you know what? He goes to school literally one day a week. This is his day. He needed his right. book and you're seeing me up there close and personal. Yep. We got a laugh out of it, but I did feel in that moment, almost more connected to the to right. the client in that way.
1: Right. And it, it's happened more than more times than I really care to even think about where <laughs> yes. I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. You know, I'm in my sister's backyard doing a, an interview and the gardener who I thought had left was like, Hey, Hey, you know, he's yelling into it. I'm like, I am on Instagram live. I can't believe this is happening. But then I was like, you know what? I'm going to have to have this conversation. So just give me a minute. And, you know, I had it. And afterwards, I was like, I'm sure that happens a million times to people. Right. Like, the gardener gets to be on Instagram live. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this day, because they were having like massive, like, fly issues and uh, this stuff. So it happened to be that day at that moment. And I was like, this is life because we're working from home. We're not yeah. in an office. Right. And so... You know, just roll with it. And I think when you stop like kind of being in that place of like perfectionism, that's the other thing this has helped me with is that, you know, you don't have to be perfect that day and everything doesn't have to be perfection that day because we are in a different setting that it's not completely controlled. And rather than lamenting over that and then your energy going there, just kind of move on and and just be.
0: So some of your consulting is around helping organizations create more diverse, diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion, helping them retain talent, innovation. And I didn't know that about you until I started, until I read the book and was looking more into your bio. So what, you know, but you're, yet you are a negotiation expert. So what are those, how, how do those two things go
1: together in your work or do they? Yeah, they, t- they totally do actually in ways that I didn't necessarily expect. I was doing that sort of the DEI type of work, Before I actually got into negotiations. And I didn't approach it necessarily from an HR perspective, though I was in that role for the time I was at the Red Cross as a VP of uh, corporate diversity for some time after Hurricane Katrina. But before that, even early in my career, I was doing a lot of sort of what we call social, at that point, social marketing and, and cause marketing for health issues and particularly focused on communities of color, really hard-hit communities, at-risk communities. I started my career in HIV AIDS. And so what my company did was make culturally appropriate, culturally diverse materials so that we could better communicate and did trainings around them so that people, the health providers could better communicate with, with those communities, with those individuals. And so in some ways, the DI work started way before I started teaching negotiations. And when I first started teaching negotiations, I mean, it took me a little while, but you know, the essence of it is communicating effectively mm-hmm. and being heard, right? And and being curious and going into conversations not with your mind made up, but being open to ideas and somebody else's ways of communicating with you and and perspective, right? Hearing things from different perspectives before you actually draw your own, and and maybe just maybe what you end up with is even far better than you ever thought was possible because it was innovative and you were open and curious. So the way those things have become really connected for me is also this notion of we are better when we're curious. We are better when we listen. We're even better when we know how to maybe even argue, right? Having, having discussions that come from a variety of opinions create tension sometimes, obviously, but how you start working through those so that people are not shut off, people are not ignored, they're not sort of not invited back to the conversation, but actually finding the richness in that diversity, in the conversation, in the problem solving, really is what connected the two things for me. And so sort of, I think we're just better that way. I think when we are, naturally, we have our biases, we have the things that we hold on to, the way we judge people. But in a negotiations, when you are open to these different perspectives, when you sort of check yourself and say, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm right. Like, this is what I really want to do. But before I do that, I'm going to just be open to what this person is saying and, and where they're coming from. And lo and behold, maybe again, the outcome is just infinitely better than you would have expected, so that's sort of the natural connection. It is really from this communication mm-hmm. inclusive problem solving inclusive conversations rather than sort of shutting people out that that really I think is the the tie that bonds those two things
0: so interesting because when I thought about negotiation before reading your book, it was again like kind of standing up and pumping your chest and being aggressive and making your list. And it sounds like what you're saying from our earlier conversation. And now it's almost like the opposite. It's almost sort of slowing down, thinking about really who you are and, and taking the pulse of all of these different people and thinking about where they might be coming from so interesting
1: it works at home it works in your personal life it works in your professional life it works better with yourself because sometimes like we make up our minds for like this is exactly what i want to do and the minute you start questioning what are there other ways of doing it then you naturally start thinking about it different okay well speaking i wasn't even going to go there but since you (laughs) brought it up
0: speaking of home So as you know, I have twin 18-year-old girls. My son is 16. Hopefully, given that they are on their way to the Wharton School next year, they'll have you as a professor one time, which would be very cool. And they don't even know I'm I'm chatting with you today. But any advice for me or for people listening? How on earth do I
1: negotiate with these teenagers? You know, I think that's a couple of things. I think that, that what really worries me when I see my students who are sort of they feel like they're not enough. They feel like they have to meet every demand that their parents have put on them. And then they put on themselves naturally. They hold themselves to these really incredibly high standards. And like it's as though as first years they have to know what they're gonna do by the time they're 50 at that moment, right? Mm -hmm. So there's part of that. There's this part of like really allowing them, pushing them to find themselves during that process. And so far as taking different classes, not being so sure, not being so certain, right? And that certainty is, I think, what what makes you kind of miserable in college because I I was that person, except I was certain of what my parents wanted me to do, not what I wanted to do. But really being open, you'll never get those days again. And and there's so many smart kids, Erica, in that environment. It's a great environment your kids are are sort of prepared for being in in an urban environment anyway to go to school. So right, Right. they've already experienced the diversity and the the beauty of that. So that won't be necessarily hard. But there's also a huge diversity in the student body. And I'm talking every kind of diversity. So to be open, to experience, and to release as much of that pressure in whatever way they find. So whether it's athletics, whether it's a sorority, whether it's a book club, whatever it is, right? I think that's really important. The second thing for you is to trust yourself because Mm -hmm. you have to feel like you've been the very best mother that you could be and that you've instilled in them. Like after all these years, the values and the things that you feel like will guide them in the right direction. And at the point of a major decision that they know just enough because of what you've given them, that they will be able to make those decisions, that they are capable of those things because you've become a part of them in ways that they probably don't even know. And I think that's really hard for parents because you want to like sort of make sure that everything's okay. Right. But I'd say, trust yourself, be proud of the mom that you are and know that, that you've done enough that they will know better. And when they don't, that you just hope that you've done enough so they know where to come back to where they really have to make those right. decisions. Oh, it is hard. It is mm-hmm. hard. Not to mention we feel older. That's the other part of it. I remember when my nephews were getting ready for college. I'm like, how did this happen? Right? My sister is worried about what they're going to do. And I'm still stuck over here. Like, how did I get so old? She's I like, clearly not about you right now. But yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. A hundred percent. So on the, the topic of of being human, there is a question I ask everybody who comes on the podcast to get to know you a little bit better. And the question is, what do you do in your life that makes you feel most like you?
1: Honestly, I would say, I would say teaching. I would say I am most like myself, most true to who I am in a classroom, more so than with friends or family. There's there's a certain amount of vulnerability that I have in a classroom because I've asked that of my students that makes me feel unjudged and connected and really excited. And I love their energy and, and, and that's what I miss. And and I just feel really, truly at my best and most grateful, very responsible, but in a really good way. Mm-hmm. And it, it's the point where I feel like I push myself to be the best I can be, the clearest I can be in my communication. But, not in a pressure filled way, but but in a performance kind of a way. and it's it's I love it. I never thought I would ever say this, but it is it is really it's just it's joy for me. It's three or four hours of pure joy. Oh, I love that. and I you know,
0: maybe someday I'll get to see you in the classroom, see you in your element. I mean, I feel like it's right you're very blessed. I mean, that you're you're doing in your life in a professional way what makes you, in a personal way, really thrive. And I think it's something we can all aspire to. Not everybody reaches, but but the school is lucky to have you. Your students are lucky to have you. And um, I feel really lucky to have met you and that you joined me today on, on the podcast. So Likewise. thank you so much for being here and I will see you in Philly in the fall. in, in person. person. In football,
1: New York, yes. soon something, right? Well, uh, we, there's a lot of touch points. Yes. I'm excited. i okay. not we'll coffee. Yes. Perfect.
0: All right. thanks thank you so much, Erica. Have a great rest of uh, the day and a great summer.
1: Thank you. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Left to Our Own
0: Devices. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. If you want to receive my monthly-ish update on all things human at work, or just want to say hello, email me at erica at ericakeswin.com. Stay safe, stay connected, and I'll see you soon.